Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Buster Show podcast. Today, we have my good friend and legend, Darren Prince. We call him DP here, uh, CEO of Prince Marketing Group. My friend, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for the intro. I don't know about legend. I work for a bunch of them, but thank you for that. I, I uh, say it with 1 million percent confidence. Um, <laughs> so I, I wanted to start this off, you know, some people uh, in, you know, the media world and the sports world know you as, you know, the, the guy who has worked with all of the top legendary athletes. So you're referring to before, um, you know, some of the greatest basketball players, some of the greatest fighters, you know, entertainers, but, and we can talk a little bit about that later, but I think, you know, from having known you for a, a short little while now, but having, had some great conversations with you. I know that you uh, have have been through uh, it all from dealing in high-end sports cards at the beginning to the ups and downs, which is, you know, sort of the stuff that, you know, I think we both agree is the most important. So I'd, I'd love to start with just hearing how you got into business, because I think that's that's the best way to start and how you had your first, you know, sort of high at the beginning of your career cool so um at 12 years old i started my first business uh long before you were born juicy fruit big red and wrigley's used to sell 10 packs of gum for 99 cents so i'd buy you know a ton of them from the grocery store they give me a little bit of a discount i'd sell them for a quarter a pack out of my locker and you know two and a half times my money and I also had a, a few odd part-time jobs from uh, working at a pizzeria stock room at a sneaker store. Uh, I was a busboy at a place called Don's in Livingston, New Jersey. And, you know, I, I was pretty good at saving money. And as my friends started kind of being more interested in girls at 13, 14 years old, I started buying a lot of their baseball card collections that meant nothing to them anymore. It's kind of corny and outdated and for, you know what, I put together quite a big collection. And at 14, a uh, intro to business teacher was still a dear friend of mine, challenged the entire class to go home and create a business that night. Now, in my mind, I actually had one. I just didn't have the execution. I had these incredible shoe boxes of uh, baseball cards and meticulous condition. I have a little price gun. I put prices on the back of them. Uh, something you never heard of, not back yet. It was called CCP, Current Card, Current Card Price Guide. It was a newspaper that would come once a week. And that was like the stock market of the card industry long before Becca came around. And so I went home that night. In my mind, I had something called Baseball Card City. And I sat down with my dad. I said, Dad, I need some insurance to in my baseball cards. I got to start a business for my for my class. And it was interesting as I was a terrible student. I was verbally teased all the time for having a learning disability, slow learner. Um, but my dad took such interest in it and he goes, all right, you know, well, what do you need? I'll get some insurance. And I said, I need about eight or nine. So I said, like, all right, I'll get you about a thousand dollars worth of insurance in case we ever have a flood or something. And I said, dad, not eight or nine hundred, eight or nine thousand. So now he looks at me like I'm nuts. He goes, how did you get eight or nine thousand worth of cards? So I bring the cards down and I bring the price guy down. I start showing him. He goes, but where did you get all these? I'm like, my dad, everybody wants the Don Mattingly's, Daryl Strawberries, the Tony Gwynn's, the Wade Boggs, the Roger Clemens. I like the old stinky cards that they would get from like their grandfathers and their uncles, like the Mickey Mantles, the Joe DiMaggio's, the Babe Ruth. So between trading and buying their collections, I focused on the older ones because they were worth more money. And um, so he goes, okay, well, how are you going to sell them? 
I said, funny, you should ask. I went back upstairs, being this big newspaper from West Essex Tribune, which was the local paper. And there was these brothers, Rocco and Sal Salino from, uh, they were promoters in Livingston for whatever it was, 20 bucks, you can get a table and display your cards on an eight foot Amazing. display. And um, so now he challenged me. He goes, you think he could sell them there? I go, yeah, I said, I think it'll be a lot of fun. So my friend, Steve Simon, who coincidentally, I go back 41 years now, is one of the main agents at Prince Marketing Group for me. We split the table 10 bucks each. I spent every night after school making sure I had the most meticulous display. He spent maybe three hours. He went in for fun. I went in to crush it. And uh, I made over $1,000 that Sunday afternoon. Let's and go. he made about 100 bucks. And the buying, selling, trading just memory felt. It, it, oh, hold on, bro. Here we go. So the, the buying, selling, trading just made me feel so alive. I felt like I had a purpose. And uh, every weekend from there on out, I started, you know, doing baseball card shows and uh, Sports Collectors Digest was the Bible back then. And I started, you know, putting enough revenue together. I was running full page ads, two pages, uh, you know, a week, spending $1,000, $1,200 a week on advertising. And I became like a stockbroker uh, for high-end baseball cards long before grading was around to some pretty big wigs on wall street doctors lawyers keith olberman from espn was a client and these guys wow. would call me up on my phone i was the first kid at 14 to have a cell phone which was made by bell, bell atlantic back then it was a, a big metal aluminum battery pack with a handheld uh, plastic phone on with a rubber antenna it was literally probably three dollars a minute because nobody had cell phones and in between class i'd be on the phone hey i'm looking for a 1958 tops mickey mantle i'm looking for you know a hank aaron rookie i'd go to shows that weekend pick up the cards remember there was no uh texting photos back then but right, i pick right. the best grade that i can tack on a profit and for you know bro by the time i was 16 i was probably pulling in a quarter of a million dollars a year by the time you were 16. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I got a little bit of an audio issue. Hold on. Sorry. Give me a sec. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes. Much better. Amazing. Um, so I was saying you were making a quarter of a million by the time you were 16. 1986. That's insane. So now what, what, what did you think about it at the time? Were you thinking that you were, you know, going to be a billionaire? Were you thinking that, you know, oh, I, I, now I can impress all the girls. Were you thinking, you know, I can not buy this car or were you thinking, let me continue to build the business. What, what was going on in your head as a 16 year old making a quarter of a million dollars? You know, I, I think it was the ultimate F you to everybody that, uh, you know, verbally teased me and verbally bullied me. Um, I wasn't thinking long term. I wasn't super smart with money uh, back then. And, and there was a lot of flash and, you know, a lot of insecurities and um, just wanted to show everybody Darren Prince is going to be somebody. And I started getting high off the fumes. You know, USA Today would write articles on the New York Times, Daily News. I was one of the young hotshots of the business. The GOAT, which is the reason the card industry is where it is today, was a guy named Alan Mr. Mint Rosen, who made the hobby what it was. Uh, only Dior to have a 
eight-page spread into where it's illustrated. Some of the most historic finds in the hobby. So when you see these 52 tops mantles go for 5.5 million, those came from his finds out of uh, Massachusetts. And uh, he was one of my nearest and dearest friends. And, uh, you know, real arrogant without realizing that a lot of his underlying roots to deep-rooted insecurity. And, you know, I think that's why uh, I, I said I would love to hop on with you because I also started at 14, what would, what would be a 24-year uh, high-end drug addiction because of that. And that at, at what point, you know, after starting to make a lot of money, did those other things start to, you know, come in or, or creep in? And, and how did that happen? It started at 14. Uh, the summer I started the business and um, I was at sleepaway camp, I had horrible stomach pains when I this nurse counselor took me to the infirmary. This nurse gave me this green liquid uh, in a cough syrup cup. I had no idea what it was. And I come back to the bunk and man, I'm flying across the softball field. Everything I needed to be in that moment. I'm a superstar. Look at me. I probably made, you know, 50 grand that summer. Just, you know, having my dad, you know, you know, calling back and forth about ship this card, ship that card. I got this one coming and I flipped it. I made two grand and um, I got back to the bunk and I was the cool kid, the popular one, the funny one, the buff one, the good looking one. I was able to flirt with girls for the first time in my life and, you know, thinking nothing of it. The next day I did all my activities, went to lie in my bunk bed that night. And that second night I had no stomach pains, but I learned to lie and cheat and con and I healed over and the counselor took the bait and thought I was in pain again. And I did this for three straight weeks, bro, every single night. And, you know, they had no idea until my mom and dad came up for visitation day. I was taking liquid Demerol. And, um, you know, a few months later, I uh, went to a dentist appointment for my wisdom teeth removed and this thing happened with Vicodin. So I got that same feeling. So now you take brokenness, insecurities, feeling of less than not fitting in with the world with a young teenage kid making that type of coin. It's a recipe for disaster, but nobody was going to tell me otherwise because I needed it. And that's what made me a superstar at these shows and this wheeling, dealing machine. And um, I didn't know how to do it without it. You know, right. And I imagine, too, you know, I, I've even seen this, you know, with myself and fellow influences, too. When you have, you know, you start to make money, it gives you this independency, which, you know, and this freedom, which nobody can really say anything to, because mm -hmm. it's like, oh, well, if you disagree with me, I'll just go to Miami. I'll just go to L.A. And it's like, that's the problem. Go anywhere and be alone yep. when you're at, you know even 17 and up and doing your own thing that that's sort of like the dangerous part of it too whereas you know nobody nobody can say anything legally i bought i bought, I bought the best fake ids i'd go down to atlantic city by myself on the weekend or bring a bunch of friends that were so-called friends i'd take care of everybody's tab blow thousands of dollars in the casino whatever it was and you know sneak into strip clubs and do all those guilty pleasures and I just thought I was living a high life, man, you know, and uh, my freshman year in college, um, I went, I had a 0.86 GPA, so it was an academic probation, but I got to play college baseball as a walk-on, which was a thrill, and uh, the business exploded. I mean, I was probably clearing over a half a million dollars that year. Uh, a lot of it came from the Billy Ripken error card that I stumbled into the fuckface card <laughs> so by accident. Sorry. And uh, about 100 team sets at the historic 89 
1989 home run club show that Pete Rose promoted uh, with my boy Mike Bertolini at the Tropicana in Atlantic City. Only because my sister was going to University of Maryland, I wanted to buy sets for five bucks, flip them for 15 and make myself a quick grant so I could buy drugs for me and all my friends. And um, having no idea there was an error card in it that three days later when USA Today did a story on it on the front page of sports and I got interviewed for the article as one of these young hotshots in the card business, those cards shot up to about a hundred, uh, about a hundredfold. They were even more, I mean, you know, 500 to a thousand to 1500 a piece. And I think I made 200 grand in a matter of two weeks. And I was just off to the races, college meant nothing to me. And I, I got out, my dad gave me this idea. I think it's time to change the name and you need a moniker. And, you know, I think Prince of Cards is the name you should go with. And I was like, bam, that was it. My ego needed that. I'm the fucking Prince of Cards, man. You know, nobody's going to fuck with me. I'm on top of the world. And, um, you know, again, all those underlining root issues. Um, anybody with an ego is somebody with an inferior, you know, as they say, it's an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. And, uh, but I just didn't know any better. And, uh, you know, for the next you know year and a half, I partied like a rock star. I eventually sold the baseball card business because seeing athletes at shows signing autographs was even cooler and sexier to me. And that's where I could get mm -hmm. the girls hanging around all these cool people. So I jumped right into the memorabilia business. And uh, for my good friend, Harlan Warner, who was a mentor, he represented Muhammad Ali. And that's the first guy I started doing signings with, you know, more than anybody in the world. And uh, started booking a lot of different, you know, iconic names. Uh, you know, smoking Joe Frazier, Magic Johnson, uh, you know, so many incredible names. And by the mid 90s, that business blew up. But I got myself in a lot of trouble in, a, in an FBI case with the FBI, not knowing I was selling some fraudulent autographs. And uh, here I was on top of the world. And by the time I was 25, I was a million dollars in debt and uh, scratching my head how the hell this happened. And, um, you know, it was one of those moments that I remember Magic Johnson telling me, you're going to make lemonade out of lemons. And uh, I'm going to be with you this whole ride because I know you're a good dude and you made a mistake in the public eye. And I know all about making a mistake in the public eye because he was two years removed from the HIV announcement on November 7th of 2000 and uh, 1991. And, um, you know, that, that was interesting because... Uh, you know, I went from being this rock star to being all over the newspapers. There was no internet back then and a lot of haters against me. And, uh, you know, my dad was always such an inspiration and mentor and challenged me and said, what's my next move? And I said, you know what, dad, I don't want to book autograph signings anymore. I think I got it in me to be an agent, but I just don't have eight years to go to law school. And we were fishing in Alaska at the time on this epic fly fishing trip. I took him on with my last three grand to my name. I was broken and broke. He didn't even want to go old school Jewish guy, uh, you know, didn't want me blowing that type of money, but it was historic. And we're out on the stream and he goes, lawyer, law school, what are you talking about? He goes, don't you know, life is about who you know, not what, you know, you realize you can go to Muhammad Ali's, you know, estate right now, his ranch in Berry and Springs, or go see Marichick in Beverly Hills, or go to Chevy Chase's house in New Bedford, or Pamela Anderson in Malibu, and, you know, these relationships there are priceless. There's not a lawyer in the world that wouldn't want what you have, and why don't you talk to Magic about being your first client? And two weeks later, I was with him in Detroit for an appearance we had at Gibraltar, the flea market that I don't think is around anymore, <laughs> and uh, it's just one of those fate moments, man. I was probably 25 years old and broken financially and you know 
my self-esteem is shot. How did this happen? And I go to his hotel suite to make sure he's getting ready for the appearance. And he was by himself inviting me in. He goes, boy, how you doing? How'd everything work out? He goes, I, you know, I heard that you, know, you got probation. Thank God. And then you got wrapped up into something. I know that you didn't know, uh, you know, was what it was. You trusted somebody. And I said, yeah, man, I said, I'm doing okay. I said, I, you know, I got an idea. I want to start an agency. And, uh, told me words I'll never forget. He goes, well, who's you want for your first client? Cause you need a big client, man. You're a young dude and you want to come out and make an impression, <laughs> make some noise. You got to come up with somebody impressive. And I was so nervous, man. My hands were sweating and I'm thinking I, I got to open my mouth. I got to have the courage to say something. This is one of those moments in life. If I don't say something, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. And I was like, Irvin, I call him by his real name. I'm, I'm hoping I could have you. And uh, he goes, do you have a good entertainment lawyer? I said, I don't know any. He goes, well, you better find one because you're a good dude. And I love you and your family. And I'm going to give you a shot. And the words he said was, but I'm going to give you two years. If you don't use me to knock down every door to build your agency and get all the athletes and celebrities you can, I'm going to fire you long before those two years are up because it's not how successful I become, Darren. I'm going to be a success they've never seen in the world of post sports. Actually told me this. It's how successful I make you and everybody else around me, as that's how winning is done in life. And uh, he gave me the ball, man. And every one of those names I mentioned, I threw Dennis Rahman in the mix, was in the peak of his career, 96 with the Bulls, um, 72 and 10 team. And I just networked my ass off before, you know what, I had a stable of eight to 10 of the biggest names in the world and slowly but surely got out of debt and Prince marketing group was born. And uh, same time though, now I got money. Now I got clout. Now I got the hottest woman in the world. All the things I needed for that exterior shell, that coat of armor for people to not see the real me on the inside. And uh, uh, we blew up. And, uh, you know, I, I love to speak on a high school kids because I tell them, you know, at one point what was once living to use turned out to using to live. And I don't know what when it was. But uh, I got rid of the illegal drugs, became a high-end opiate addict, Oxycontin, Vicodins, and Percocets were my best friends. And it was what I needed to function. And this was function. after, and I'm in a, this was after, after you starting just, you marketing got successful group. for the second time. Yep. Yep. And I came back and, you know, built a multi-million dollar company for the second time. And, uh, you know, but I needed it. You know, I was always looking for that outside fix. That was an inside job. But. Like I said, at one point was once living to use turned out to using to live. And I was in a place worse than hell, man, by the time I was in my early 30s and had no idea how to get out, had all the success, all the money, every guy's dream job, dream career, you know, biggest stars in the world, the private jets, the Super Bowls, the MTV, VMAs, backstage passes, you name it, whatever it was. But, you know, got to a point where I was home alone at night after whatever those events were, wherever those red carpet events were. Uh, whatever that event was or appearance or commercial uh, being the man being the so-called super agent when I would get home I felt like that broken piece of crap from grammar school that everybody said would never make it that learning disabled kid that kid that uh, was, was too that, dumb was that because of what you were taking or was that just because no of that was what's because of what I was taking and that was because I truly have felt it by myself and not speaking up at an early age, just thinking because the exterior success came. Um, that's all right. I'm good. Let everybody think, you know, 
that I'm a big shot now because I am. But deep down inside, I know I wasn't. Hmm. Yeah. So how long did, did that go on for at, at that sure. point? Uh, you know, that went on probably until my mid-30s. And uh, I was engaged at the time to my now ex-wife, Simone. And, um, you know, had a, had a couple overdoses where I almost lost my life. Uh, the gig started to slowly but surely you know be up even though I was highly functioning and doing some landmark multi-million dollar endorsement deals commercials tv shows um I was just miserable bro I mean miserable the last couple of years I would change my life insurance policy you know every month or so and update it and I just didn't want to wake up in the morning I was just like how the hell did it get to this point how did it get to this point? God, just take me in my sleep, man. You know, it was just, it was, I was a shell of myself. What now, <laughs> what, what was it that caused that? Just that, just having had that go on for so long, just compounding. Exactly. Itself? You know, if you would have told me at 14, one shot at Demerol would have led to a 24 year run of hell by numbing myself with opiates, I would have told you you were crazy. Hmm. And then, so, so what did those near um, overdoses teach you? You know, what, what? The second one finally gave me a little bit of accountability. I went to an addiction psychiatrist when I was 37 in 2007. And I was somewhat accountable and told him what was up. He told me I was an opiate addict, put me on something called Suboxone, which was an opiate blocker. But I didn't tell him I was sniffing ambient before I was going to bed at night to get high and on a mood stabilizer, antidepressant, and an anxiety pill that I was taking from other doctors. And you know, probably drinking a couple of days a week too when I'm at events with clients because I just didn't want to feel anymore. I, I was I just wanted to numb out. And um, you know, finally I think it was, you know, about a year, a little over a year after that, that doctor, that psychiatrist, my my, my first uh I like to say God moment came into my life, which was July 1st of 2008. What happened? So my uncle and his then girlfriend, Andrea, were visiting my mom from Miami. And uh, I was done, bro. I was spent. I mean, my ego is too big to go to a rehab, but I, I just wanted to detox somehow without going away for 30 days. And they just happened to pay a surprise visit to my mom and stop on my place in West Orange, New Jersey. And this woman never met me before. And she walked in and said, are you okay? Um, she goes, my name's Andrea. And I said, I'm not. And she goes, what's wrong? And I just opened up to her about everything. Wow. And she goes, do you realize that your life is unmanageable and that you're powerless? I was like, yeah. She goes, do you realize that um, it doesn't matter if you're from Park Avenue or Park Bench or Yale to jail? The disease of addiction does not discriminate. And none of this stuff means anything because you don't mean anything. I can help you. Your uncle's back in the 12-step fellowship for three years. I've got five years clean myself. Are you willing to do anything it takes? And that broke my soul when I started crying. I said anything. I'm sick and tired. I'm desperate. So she put me on a 36-hour detox plan, which was July 2nd, 2008, at 7 o'clock p.m. at night. I was living in a building called the Caroline in New York City. And I came back from working out and I'm shaking, trembling, diarrhea, vomiting, 
crawling out of my skin. I called them up. I said, I can't freaking do this. I'm calling the goddamn doctor to get what I really need to get. I'm never going to make it. And my uncle picked up the phone and said, Darren, this is the goddamn disease talking, man. You know, I've seen you in the depths of for 24 freaking years now. You got to get yourself some real help and go to a 12-step meeting and put your hands up and tell these people you're sick and suffering and put that damn ego aside. I said, I can't do it, man. I said, I've been to those stupid meetings. At 21, I was arrested four times in six months for possession charges, not for selling, for using and giving out to all my friends. So I was in an outpatient program then. It did nothing for me because I wasn't accountable. This time I somewhat was, and I hung up the phone. I said, I can't do this. I ran into the bathroom, locked myself in the bathroom, and my damn wife is banging on the door. Baby, don't do it. Don't do it. I didn't know if she thought I was what's going on and i'm going through the medicine cabinets looking for these non-narcotic anxiety pills and out came two vicodins out of one of the bottles which was one of the three opiates i was addicted to and which was unbelievable because you know we cleaned out every cabinet of the opiates like we told her we did the day before so i could detox properly and i didn't even know how they got there but it was like a gift from god bro for a minute it was like oh my god what a relief but then you know the turn happened you hear about a white light moment and just truly had one because I fell to my knees and I screamed out to God, like never before, take the money, take the business, take the notoriety. I don't care, God, I need your help. I'm begging you. I said, if you take me out of hell, I promise I will spend one day at a time helping others get out of hell. Right. And my hand opened up and I flushed the pills and it wasn't me. And as I flushed the pills, I felt this fire sensation over my right shoulder. And I heard a voice tell me, I've got you and you're ready. And something stood me up. And I wound up opening the bathroom door. I went onto the living room, onto the computer. And I found a 12-step meeting I Googled. And I'm downstairs five minutes later, flagging a cab. It was before Uber was around. And I get in the cab. And I look up at the sky in this beautiful summer night of July 2nd, 2008. And I said to myself, oh my God, for the first time in my life, I wanted to stay sober more than I wanted to get high. And I walked into this meeting, this church in the upper 80s, about 150 to 200 addicts and alcoholics who were all once of a hopeless state of mind. And I heard the leader say, is anybody new coming back or out there jumping off point? Wasn't me again, bro. This hand went right up, no ego ego crushed the biggest stars in the world that I work for. And I said, my name is Darren. I'm an addict. I said, I'm sick. I'm suffering. I need help. I said, I want to kill myself. I said, I got 24 hours clean. What can I do? And uh, about a dozen spiritual brothers and sisters came over to me and they told me some incredible things. Like it's easier to stay sober and to get sober again, stick with the winners. We'll love you before you ever learn how to love yourself. It's easier to just, if you want what we have, do what we do. Keep it simple. And um, in that moment, I noticed I was given the gift of desperation. And because of the gift of desperation, I slowly got the power of choice back in my life one day at a time. And a day became a week, a week became a month. And after I immersed myself in this program and got a sponsor and did everything I needed to do, I realized that the real gift to find hope and recovery was to give this gift away to other people. And once one year came up, I've kept that promise to God for almost 13 years now. 
and there's not a day that goes by where I don't help somebody sick and suffering with uh, substance abuse, addiction, and mental health. And, um, you know, it's truly been the, the greatest experience in my life, the biggest accomplishment of my life. Um, you know, I wrote a book in October of 2018 uh, called Aiming High that became an international bestseller in four countries. I'm one of the most requested global recovery advocate speakers in the world. I've done 200 speaking engagements between virtual live events around the world. Uh, there's not a week that goes by. I'm not on some of the top podcast interviews. I've been on Chris Cuomo, Extra, Dr. Oz, Jay Shetty, who's airing next month. And uh, I know it's because I'm, I'm not anybody special, but the God that I've taken into my life is because, uh, like I said, we made a deal. And, and when we talked about this podcast, I said, uh, let's do it, man. Let's touch and save or change a life or two because I knew you got some pretty prominent people that wanted to come and motivate and inspire and tell their story. You know, to me, I don't care about the super agent. Like these relationships are incredible. I was with Jerry West for eight hours today. You know, you know, everybody who I hang with, they're all family. Charlie Sheen, Chevy Chase, Rick Flair, Hulk Hogan, Carmen Electric, Denise Richards, um, you know, uh, Dennis Rodman, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, they're all near and dear to me. Roy Jones Jr., Oscar De La Hoya and I were together a few days ago, but that's not what defines me. That's what I do. You know, who I am is a degenerate drug addict looking to do the next right thing one day at a time, stay sober and help people that need it right now during this pandemic. And know that just like me, you could take your bottom and turn it into a brand new beginning. Because on July 2nd, 2008, what I thought was the worst day of my life turned out to be my very best. And, you know, for this whole experience, I found my soul on this journey. I found my purpose in life. And I've been through hell and back in recovery. I've lost Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, Evil Knievel. And nothing worse like losing my dad in February 15th of 2017, suddenly to an art aneurysm, and it was in perfect health. But the beautiful thing about recovery is your perspective and perception changes when you become spiritual and you work these steps. And I always say the 12 steps are steps for a living. Every single human being should look them up online because drugs and alcohol are only mentioned in the first step under powerlessness. The rest of them, everybody can benefit by and if you're struggling with cigarettes or overeating or sex or over shopping or whatever it might be, that's unmanageable. Just substitute that word what to it, better yourself. What is it called? I'm going to link it down below. So the, 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 12 step, the 12 steps of recovery. And, you know, you implement those into your life every single day. You know, you'll have a transformation that you can't even imagine. And, um, you know, like, like I said, you know, everybody's so enamored about the whole, you know, business resume and, you know, that's good and great. It's given me blessings and the most amazing relationships with some of the most incredible men and women on earth that have, you know, motivated and inspired so many. But, uh, you know, this journey that I'm on, there's not a day that goes by where I call them GMCs. These God-managed coincidences don't happen. And uh, somebody comes to my brand new place yesterday in marina that's set up for the jerry west signing and he starts talking to me and uh we hit it off after 20 30 minutes i mentioned that i'm 
coming up on 13 years sober. And he says to me, holy crap, man. He goes, I wanted to say something. I know about your book and I know about your journey. I'm celebrating a year sober in two and a half weeks. And you've been a huge inspiration to me. And his sober birthday is the one day before mine, July 1st. And uh, he said that I now have my daughter back in my life. And I want to thank you for uh, what you do for the world, you know, of recovery. And, um, you know, it's moments like that, that I tell people, if you want to build real self-esteem, don't worry about the money. Do esteemable acts and your purpose personally and professionally will happen because esteemable acts being of service to others is what defines us. That what built, that's what builds that inner character. And, and, you know, Prince Marketing Group has been so incredible to me and so many that I employ that I call family. I hate using the word employees because I like to call them all partners. I've got two of the most amazing assistants, Joy and Matilda, my boy Steve and Vo and Frankie back in New Jersey and Nikki C out here in LA. But um, hey man, I'll tell you honestly, if I lost the money tomorrow, and the business and everybody retired, I would still be me because when you find yourself in your heart and your soul, it's the greatest feeling in the world. Most people I know will never understand what that is. And I know I could look back and say, man, God, what a run we had. What's next for us? Um, just guide me because, um, you know, we're going to set up into a hell and back. And, you know, when you could sit there and hold your dad's hands, the day before you put him in hospice by yourself in the hospital and ask him if he's ready to die. And he said, yes. And as calm as I am right now and said, dad, I've never been in a better place. I'll take care of mom and Stacy. Say hi to grandma and uncle Joe and uncle Alan and Muhammad and Joe and evil can evil for me. But I tell you that I'm going to do something. I said, your son is going to touch the world. Your son's legacy is going to change and save lives. And I know from above, you're going to be watching. And uh, that's what's happened, man. I mean, a month after that, I was on, I, was I got a call from New Jersey's largest rehab turning point to ask if I wanted to be honored at their annual gala with the Hope and Recovery Award. I had six months to prepare for a speech and I hired the best speech writers, speech coaches, and did a transformation within myself that I never even thought was humanly possible that blew the audience away. And got a, you know, several minutes standing ovation when I was done. It wasn't a dry eye in the room. And 12 people in that room, you know, saw that magic and knew that they needed help and took an action. And right after that, three days later, I was on Dr. Oz because his producer saw the speech on Facebook Live. And oh my God. a week after that, having a relationship with President Trump when he was Donald Trump and Celebrity Apprentice, I get a call from Rona Graff, his executive assistant that's been with them forever. And I'm taking a plane to the White House to uh, meet with his executive team about being involved in this opiate epidemic and being the face of it and helping to speak to kids and teens and adults everywhere suffering from it. And then I met my publisher, Anna David, by chance on Instagram. And she partners me up with Krista McGinnis, this, uh, the writer who wrote a masterpiece that had nothing to do with me. And for, you know, eight, nine months later, but we wrote an international bestseller in New York, in uh, America, Canada, Australia. And uh, 
uh, where was the other country? England. And uh, I just got shot into the front of uh, the forefront of this substance abuse and, you know, mental health uh, epidemic. And then I just helping created the best for those things. What's that? And helping people with those things. It's the greatest thing in the world, bro. I, uh, I created the best version of myself during the pandemic. I lost 15 pounds. Let's Pick it out. Yeah, I work out six days a week, 51 years old. I, uh, I was always in great shape. I got on a gluten-free diet mentally. You know, my team, everybody sees it. My girl, everybody that's around me, I'm, I'm, I'm an emotional rock because I put in the work. I put in the work every freaking day to better myself. I know I got character flaws. I know I'm not perfect. I'm accountable. Um, and when I get inside my own head, like I tell people, none of us are responsible for our thoughts, but we are responsible for how long we want to think those thoughts. Mm. So what you do to get out of your own head, be of service. I've learned to say what I mean in life, mean what I say, but not say it mean. We all got people you want to argue with. You want to open up your big fat mouth. Don't do it. Don't engage. In five minutes, you're not going to remember why you weren't pissed, why you were angry at that person. You know? Try to understand people instead of you being understood. All these spiritual messages I've heard from different spiritual brothers and sisters around the world. And uh, it just keeps me right on that beam. If we can all get life like lasagna every single day, and I get it probably 28, 29 days a month, you're in the best place you could be. You really are. And we got to get out of our own head at a time like this. Totally. You know, I think one of the biggest points too that, you know, I feel like you've echoed a, a few times in this is just that, you know, although everybody you see, you know, especially places like social media, I think push this sort of narrative because of, you know, the nature of posting a photo and taking yeah. little slices of your day that are often not even real and positioning that as though you're doing fantastic. And, you know, even behind the scenes, positioning yourself to even your closest friends that you're doing great. Everybody, I don't care who it is, is going through something. Okay. Everybody. There's not nobody's single, off the table. There is not a single person on the planet that isn't going through something. Varying yep. degrees to extreme yep. and, and not, or they went through something. And you know, I, I know yep. and, and something that I believe in is you know, people who are have been able to get out of things like that are truly the most inspiring and impressive people. And you know hard and and uh you know ready to to accomplish great things because you know the only thing that can teach uh that sort of depth or give a person that sort of depth is going through intense yep. and crazy things because yep. there's the way that you can you can't learn about that you can't read about those things in books you have to you know especially people who hit you know that rock bottom and then come back that rock bottom man hey, you know and i had no idea when aiming i was about to come out and you know mark cubans my boy genie boss all the clients magic wrote the forward they all gave testimonials that you know it's unbelievable that like i could have done the a landmark marketing deal in sports and entertainment and it would have been like great congratulations but it wasn't just the testimonials every single one of them hulk uh robin i mean Scotty Pippen, the, the people that were sending out tweets about aiming high and the support and, and, and you know, it just made me realize that, you know, if you can live and speak your truth and be authentic and be real, 
in a world where so many people are posers and fake and hiding whatever their issues are and their pain is like, I don't know other way to be, you know, like I said, I, I did a, a big podcast a couple of months ago, my boy Omar, the rock star. And I, I said it on Jay Shetty, which is uh, I think airing next month that um, my legacy is long gone and over, bro. They could put right on my tombstone gravesite. I don't want anything about Prince Martin group. I want a man that was beaten to his knee by drug addiction. That slowly rose to his feet and sprinkled hope and recovery across the world to help people recover. Man. That's what matters the most. That's it. Absolutely. No, you've definitely done that here too. And I appreciate you for that. Um, you know, I, I think all of these messages are so important, you know, in terms of a being able to help anybody who's going through something, which is everybody. And I think, yeah. you know, the, the 12 steps of recovery that you were talking about, that can be applicable to literally everything. You just replace the words with what you're going through. Like, let's say you yeah. A really bad, you know, eating habit, for example. Yeah. You just replace the word. And if you want to lighten up the intensity of the conversation, you know, I've developed a very new healthy addiction about 10 months ago. What's that? Because of my boy Jason Coons, Odia Sports. Oh, sports cards. You know, I got yeah. heavily back into cards, you know, as an investor. Uh, you know, we share that addiction. I think that I think that's a great addiction, though. You know, it's that's all I did. And he got me started a couple of years ago. I missed the mark after the Chicago National. Him and I went out for dinner after dropping Hulk Hogan off at his hotel room. And I wanted to put a bunch of money into stuff. I would have 20x my money. And last August, I called him up and he goes, bro, it's a nine-inning baseball game. Um, you missed the first three innings. Because, you know, working with Rodman and, you know, from time to time, it's Scotty. I saw a last dance did for their marketability. And I just went nuts. I got back into it heavy, man, you know, and uh, having the time of my life. But it's so much fun. It's uh, I wish my dad was here, but I didn't know he's looking down. Um, it's like almost everything I did was right with, uh, you know, buying and holding and selling and trading. And uh, it's a blast. I'm going to car shows again. I saw you in Dallas. Dallas you know, car show, Houston. Yeah. I was in Houston last weekend. I saw my boy Jeff Rosenberg from TriStar. I go back with him 36 years. And, you know, TriStar's running a national Chicago. I'm coming in two freaking days early. Bro, to walk we'll the floor on that we'll Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I don't care. I mean, it is, it is so much fun. It gets that fire going in me again. And, you know, brings me back to, you know, that, that, that teenager. But, but now I'm doing it real as me. And, uh, Two years ago, when I was at the Chicago National, I felt like this like mini celebrity walking around with Patrick and Eno, my uh, social media manager, because I got stopped everywhere. And 99% it was about aiming high and people that bought my book and how I've inspired people to turn their bottom into the beginning. So little about the agency life. And that's when I realized, wow, what a gift. Every single thing I went through was for a reason to bring me full circle back here, you know, to do the next right thing and help people that are sick and suffering. And I just can't wait for the national this year. It's going to be a blast. And, uh, so much fun. You know, I just 
you know, love telling people my story, love helping people because so many need it. And uh, every, everybody I just love the it. action again of the cards, man. It's so exciting. I know the market's dipped the past 60 days, but it'll be fine. You know, hey, there will be people goes- that are, there will be people that are watching this right now in 2028 and everything that we're talking about will mean, will make no sense in terms of the cards. <laughs> yep. It's yep. going to be exactly. so far. They're going to be in extra innings by then. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, man, you know, I'm going to link the 12 steps of recovery below uh, for people who are watching yeah. the video. Um, I recommend everybody follow you. Where, where can people find your social? In, Instagram at agent underscore DP. If you DM me your address, name, and email, don't worry about buying the book. I know people are s- s- struggling a bit financially. We sent, we'll have the publish in that hardcover copies post paid ups all covered it's all you need to do just dm me i'll get it to the publisher we've sent out probably over a thousand copies maybe more during the pandemic for free uh because that's how much it means to me i want to put them in people's hands so you know they can be inspired to to get the life that they deserve that is incredible man you're definitely helping helping a lot of people with that and i think you know at the very least it's it's great for everybody to hear, um, you know. Thanks, bro. It, it, you know, some things, like I learned this in, you know, a lot of the marketing research that I've done these last few years is getting, getting into the industry is that for a lot of people, you know, it takes seeing things one thing, one time, two times, three times, four times, five times, and then that eventually, you know, breaks down the, the wall yep. and then it's like maybe they've seen one or two things but then they listen to you talk here for an hour and then that's what breaks the dam that's what yep. breaks the dam and that's what you know gets anybody to make any progression or real impactful movement um, and, so you, and you've got such a following of these young hot shots too that are in the court and memorabilia game i'm here to let you guys know don't be the next darren prince that money comes quick and you think you're a big superstar and you got that power Trust me, it'll drag it to your knees if you got some underlining root issues that you can identify with not feeling a part of and feeling different. Speak up, get the help you need, message me, you know, any, you know, young man or woman, uh, because I lived it. And that money comes quick. All of a sudden that becomes your self-worth. And it ain't. It's not. All that is is a front and a cover-up because you got to get happy within I said, you do not want to be the next Aaron Prince uh, at that age because by all rights, bro, I should not be here talking. I should be in debt a long time to go the way I live my life. Yeah. No, you make a great point, too, in regards to, you know, your happiness and self-worth having to be from within because, and I've even seen this, too, with myself, you know, where it's like the, as the better I've done, the better I've felt, which should not be the case. It's very dangerous. Yeah, 100%. There's, um, there's something that Jeff Bezos once said that I, I actually really liked. He said, uh, and this is just in regards to Amazon stock price. He said, we can't, I don't allow people to feel better when the stock is up uh, about themselves, because if the stock is up 20%, don't feel 20% smarter because when it's down 20%, you can never feel 20% dumber. Yep. And I think that, great one. that's sort of true with, uh, with everything, yep. right? But with everything. You're, you're so right about it having to be from within and you got to find those those things that you're passionate about that don't involve success or money or things like that. 
Absolutely. Honestly, I think, you know, like you've gotten into a ton, uh, you know, working out could be a really good version of that, you know. Right. It's great for the endorphins, dopamine level, change that diet, get rid of those bad habits. Like I said, get out of your own head, help different charity organizations. You got a friend, a family member, you know, that's going through a rough time, reach out, make that phone call. You'll be amazed how quickly you get out of your own head and what that does for that foundation of real self-esteem. It's not about the cars, the houses, the money, the Rolexes, the jewelry, the bling. That's fun. You work your ass off to, you know, enjoy those things, but that's not ultimately going to make you happy. Money only gives temporary happiness. Super temporary. Yeah, man. It's all about the quality of the relationships and, you know, like you said, service to others and service to yourself too you know, and not, yep. not, not being so tied to all these things. I think that's the most important message, especially in today's day and age where there are so many more people who were in your position when you were super young now, yep. and I bet there were yep. back then. And there it's a lot more public. Exactly. There Instagram stories every hour. Imagine, exactly. if, imagine if that was the case back then. Oh, forget it. No, forget it. Yeah, I think I, I think also, you know, people being super conscious of how they're spending their time online, too. And maybe exactly. It's not bringing them down. I like literally on my feeds on every platform, the second I see anything negative about anything, they're gone. They're muted. Yep. Or they're whatever. They're unfollowed. And, and that's normal. You could get a thousand great comments. You see that first one or two. Those are the ones you you remember. Those negative ones. Human nature. That that, too um and you gotta just be super disciplined and and uh yep. you know careful and pro- you gotta protect yourself too exactly that's that's part of it on all fronts but I, I think stuff like this conversations like this people like you you know are the reasons that you know i think the internet is a good thing overall um and you know the accessibility to things Thanks, like bro. That and you know books like yours and, and things like that as well oh, i have to read it but um you know i i think is just uh you know the ability to change lives in a short period of time but also forever because again somebody will be listening to this podcast every year for the next hundred years yeah and yeah. who knows who knows what things will be like in 2085 like I'm it reading, a book. I'm, I'm reading a book right now from the 1920s. Who amazing? What what did they think? You know, it, I I wonder if that author. Uh, it was it's a Dale Carnegie book, my favorite author. Uh-huh. Uh, who what what he thought, you know, or if he thought somebody, you know, twenty year old kid would be reading it a hundred years from when he wrote it. And I feel yeah, you're right. Way, I feel the same way about these podcasts. Like we talk in such, yep. you know interesting time frames whereas the reality yep. of you know this podcast and the internet is that somebody will listen to this a lot of people listen to this every year for the next 150 yep. 200 years probably amazing yep pretty it's intense. amazing pretty intense yep and i'm glad you came at a time on a saturday evening man this is all we do this is, this is what we yeah. do the uh, helping people doesn't have a, a schedule. No, <laughs> you no. know that. <laughs> it's 24 7, 365. And the only way it should be. Um, well, my man, I appreciate you always. Lots of love. And uh, you too, bro. Much yeah. love. I'm going to catch you in Chicago. I can't wait. 
Right. I know my Dallas trip was in and out that same day. I wish we could grab lunch. Glad you got to meet my girl and she'll be with me running the floor. It's so funny. She loves looking for uh, the cards that I'm looking for now because my eyesight's not too good that I'm 51. She's 24, so it's a lot easier for her to find the stuff for me. And uh, we have a lot of fun when we go. Amazing. Well, for everybody else, we will see you in the next episode. Peace out, everybody. Awesome, man.